Isn't that, isn't it just the right time to do that? You know, that, that we come together on a weekly basis and we're just grateful we get to gather in this community of believers that, that just know who Jesus is and to accept it. But this day, when not just us, but all over the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ, all over the world, different lands are celebrating this historical moment for humanity that took place on this planet with Jesus rising from the dead and so we gather together it's just right that we celebrate I'm so grateful aren't you aren't you grateful for all the things that the Lord's done for us yeah man how lost I'd be without Jesus how lost I'd be I, I know what my life looks like when I try to live outside of his presence when I, when I try to do my own thing away from you know who he's called me to be and what he has for my life man that's never never a good situation when I do that, man, it's just a matter of time before I run back to him and just realize, man, I, I, this is, I want to be who you've made me to be, for your life to live out of me. And I'm just so grateful. But because of today, because of what we recognize that took place, that when the angel said, it was just so powerful, he said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen, just as he said, come and see where the, pla the place where the Lord has laid. What a great moment, right? What a great moment in history. What a, what a great quote for us to embrace and to live by. And so we're just so grateful. Let's just be thankful, man. Let's just give the Lord just a praise offering, just a clap, man, and just say how thankful we are. Yeah, man, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you. We love you so much. Lord, I'm grateful to you. Lord, in this moment, we just want to celebrate who you are and what you've done for us. This is no typical moment. It's it's no just normal moment. It, was, it stands out beyond time. It was where the hope for humanity has been recognized. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, be in this place. Just move in us. Love us. Work is, we love you. Just work in our lives. Do what, what only you can do. Our lives are yours. And, Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourself in this moment to each person that's here. Holy Spirit, have your way in us. And, Jesus, because you're here and you're the story changer, I call this a story-changing place. Let people's stories be changed as a result of your presence being here. God, use my words today. Help me to say things that would speak into people's lives. I, I pray for our nation, that the body of Christ, the local church, would awaken to the mission, to the call that God's given us so that revival can take place. And so, Lord, thank you for all of that. Flood our lives with your goodness. Let our lives be flooded with your praise. We love you with all of our heart and thank you for just always being good to us. And so we ask all of this confidently in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Amen. Aren't you glad to be in church today? Yeah, man, I'm glad that you're here too. You can go ahead and be seated. It's so good to have everybody. Thank you for being patient with us. I, you know, I, I know it's, it, it, it feels crowded. And, and the reason why it feels crowded is because it's crowded. And so, um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what a uh, high school education will do for you. Anyway, so... We're glad you guys are here, man, to celebrate the resurrection with us, and this is our second Easter in this new facility. You know, the cool thing about it is our, our 1032 service is usually our most full one anyway, and I think we added 100 chairs, you know, for this weekend, and it's still full, so that's a good thing, right? And so, yeah, we're, we're excited about that. I want to share just two things with you real quickly um, before we get into the message. One is, is that this Thursday, we have our Awaken uh, Men's Advance and so we're excited about it, you know, and uh, it begins Thursday evening. And if, if, fellas, if you haven't signed up for it yet, it's not too late. We'd love for you to sign up. There's a place you can sign up for it out in this lobby, out in this foyer. We, and then also we've got some things, you know, some hats, hoodies, 
shirt, t-shirts, and, and that kind of thing for it. And so um, if you want to get something to just kind of commemorate that, you're welcome to. So it's not too late. On Thursday night, I'll be speaking Friday morning. Um, Pastor Mike and Pastor Aaron will be speaking Friday night. A guy named Blaine Bartell will be speaking. And then Saturday morning, uh, Jason Swan will be speaking. He's a friend of mine. pastors a church in Kansas. And so we'll have those things going. If you're like, well, I've, I've got to work Friday. I can't be there at the Friday morning. That's okay. You can still come. And so um, you know, we have a registration and that kind of thing. And we're going to feed you Friday night. We're going to do kind of our own version of Beast Feast. And so we're still looking, you know, we still need a little bit more meat. And so if you have, if you either have some meat or some, you know, wild game or something like that, that you would mind letting us use, we're not, we're not going to return it. And so, um, not like you'd want. And so uh, we'll be doing that. And then, or if you want to cook for that, then you can. If you put on your information card at the end of the service, just put meat or cook. I mean, we'll, we'll interpret what that means. So you can do that for us. Then one other thing that when you leave today, you're going to get a card that looks like this. Because we're starting a series next week called The Good Stuff. And um, I know when you say that, man, the Kenny Chesney song starts rolling in your head real quick. But, um, uh, and there's a reason why for that. But anyway, the good stuff are the relationships we have, our relationships. You know, so, so we'll talk about the first week, like, things that make good relationships. And the next week, we'll talk about some of the relationships that are really important in our life. The next week, we'll talk about marriage. And then the week after that, we'll probably talk about parenting. Just things like that that, that are connected with us. And then... Uh, just along those lines, we'll, we'll look at different things, so um, I want to encourage you to come, uh, come be a part of that. Well, you ready to get started? Like 10 of you in a room this full. I'm so excited. Yeah, there you go. Well, that made, that made me a little nervous, but anyway, so we, you know, every Easter, you know, we, uh, because it's Easter, we want to talk about the resurrection, and so a lot of things I share, I, I do over and over again because it's the one Sunday that we really take time to just kind of talk about why this day is so significant. Now, and I say this regularly, that all of us have different stories, and that's okay, man. That's, that's the beauty of this place, is we don't have to have the same stories. But we come here with our stories being different, and we have this in common, we recognize our need for Jesus. So my story is I was raised in church, and so, you know, I heard about Jesus every Sunday, and, you know, about the resurrection, and then at the time that I was growing up, kind of the culture overall embraced this reality. As time has gone on, then the voice of culture has more and more turned away from the reality of his resurrection. A lot of people in culture like Jesus. They like what he stood for, who he is. A lot of people like him better than they like his followers, like way better than they like his followers. But they like him, but they don't know who he is. And as a matter of fact, a lot of times in, in some of our universities and, and uh, institutions, uh, that there's things that take place where, where people are disputing the claims that he made. And so, you know, Jesus said that he's the son of God, and I'm a history guy. I like history. Before I was going to go into ministry, I was pursuing a, a degree in education, and I wanted to be a history teacher, and um, so I just liked history. And so uh, as I began to realize that one of the things we were going to have to confront is the reality of the resurrection. In other words, that you never get past the issue of faith, of having to believe that God is who he says he is, and that Jesus is who he says he is, and that he did what he said he did. But also, if it's a historical event, then there should be evidence or proof of it. And, and if we're going to be fair-minded and honest, then I think that we would expect that to be there. And guess what? It's there. There's like lots of it. And so last year I gave so much that you know, a couple of my staff members were like, dude, that was like, that was just, there was just too much information. I mean, and that's how much it is. But I'm just going to give you a little bit, and then we'll get into our message, okay? So, so when you think about the resurrection of Jesus, 
you know, uh, for, for there to be events like that, you have to have eyewitness accounts. And we have four that we know of, plus, I mean, there's many others, but we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the Gospels that are written, and in those are eyewitness accounts of people that saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. Now, those eyewitness accounts were written within a few decades of that taking place, and they were written by people that personally saw him, maybe with the exception of Luke. We don't know that Luke saw him, but he interviewed people that did. Matter of fact, Luke said this in his gospel. He said, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain. Everybody say certain. Certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts, was writing this to a guy named Theophilus. He's like, man, I've interviewed these people. I've talked with them over and over again and found out these things. I want you to be certain that you can believe the things that you've been taught. Uh, later on, Luke traveled with the Apostle Paul, and so we have that. Here's another thing is that when the accounts are written, there's a few things that are very interesting about it that to me even lend towards validation. One is it's very detailed. Uh, you have this situation where it says the tomb, of, the tomb Jesus was placed in belonged to a well-placed person of position and influence, a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. In other words, he was, a, he was a person of power among the Jewish people. And so this was written, and if it wasn't true, you could have went back to him or his family members and say, did this really happen? And if it wasn't true, they just said, well, no, it didn't happen. So this detailed account of what took place, the fact that you have this guy, and these were written a few decades after it happened, that he could verify that, yes, that happened. Peter, who had denied Jesus less than two months after that event, it's recorded that he stood in the very same city that Jesus was crucified in and was buried in and declared openly to thousands of people that Jesus has risen from the dead. It says this in Acts chapter 2 that says, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. In other words, this guy that had denied him less than two months later boldly declares and proclaims, I was a witness, I saw him in the same city that it took place. Again, if you're going to perpetuate a hoax, you wouldn't do it in the same city. It'd be too easy to disprove. You would do it thousands of miles away and say, hey, back there in that one place that you guys don't know and you'll never be at, this happened. But to people that lived there and to people that were visiting there at that time, he said, this happened, I saw it, I declare the reality of it. I personally experienced his presence and saw him. And then also we know this that Paul said in 1 Corinthians, and even the staunchest critics will acknowledge and admit that this is an authentic letter that was written by the hand of the Apostle Paul. And so he said this in 1 Corinthians 15, that I passed on to you what was most important and would also have been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. So Paul said that. And then Paul begins to say this, he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Well, the reason why this is so significant, because again, he sends this letter, not a personal letter to an individual, but to a group of people that are Jesus followers. Some maybe even that are checking it out to see if they believe. And he said, these are all the people that can validate and verify what I'm saying. In other words, that to the contemporaries of that day, if anybody had any questions, they could go and say, did you really see him? 
No, we're so detailed and specific that if you had doubts at that time that you could go, it stood the test of time. Every one of the disciples except for John died as a martyr. If they were perpetuating a hoax at some point, one of them would have recanted as to what took place. But they all died professing their faith in Jesus and the reality of the fact that they had seen him, that he had risen from the dead. And so we have story after story, thing after thing, Evidence after evidence that says that Jesus is alive. And so just from a historical standpoint, to me, the proof is there. It's overwhelming. You know, if, if you would still disagree with this stance, then here's the only challenge I would give you, and that is, is that for every, whatever filter you put this in to come to the conclusion that this isn't a reality, then I challenge you for this. Take every other historical thing that you do believe in and put it through the same filter that you're putting it this through, justly and fairly, and see if they stand the test of time the way this moment and this event in history has stood the test of time. This is one of the most validated, verified events that has taken place in the history of humanity that's 2,000 years old. I'm grateful, aren't you? Let's clap, man. So, You're like, was that the message? What even the beginning. So, uh, I'm just kidding. I do want to talk to you for just a few minutes. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And, um, you know, you know, the resurrection is, it is one of those things that it's kind of like it's a non-negotiable in Christianity. It's, it's, one of, it's one of the few things that we have that's like that, that this, this, is a non, this is non-negotiable. This is, you have to embrace this. And so and we say, why is that? Why is it that we have to embrace it? Well, there's a number of reasons. But one of the reasons is because it tells us who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? You know, one of the things that he asked the disciples, he said, who do people say that I am? And, um, you know, people gave different, then he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said this to him. He goes, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. So who is he? Well, the resurrection tells us, reveals who he is. So in Romans chapter one, it says this, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. Everybody say good news. Good news. So this is the good news. God promised this good news long ago. Through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say this again. He was shown, everybody say shown. He was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the resurrection is so important because one of the things that it tells us about who Jesus is is that the resurrection reveals to us and tells us that he is the Son of God. Now, let's have an honest conversation here. And the truth of the matter is throughout history, the history of humanity, there have been thousands of people probably that have made that declaration, that have said, look, I'm the Son of God. We, we can go back to the time of history and we can see cult leaders that made that declaration. We can see those that created an insurrection that made that declaration. We can see people that were in positions of authority and power that have made that declaration. So, with so many people having made the same declaration, what makes us think that Jesus is any different? Just because we believe him, why would we say that he is different, that he really is the Son of God? Well, the resurrection is one of the things that God has given us to give us proof 
that he is the Son of God. I mean, of all the other things, you know, that we, we could say, well, man, he just said some really good things, and he did. But you know what? There are people throughout history that have some, some good statements, some good things that they were said, that, that they said. Well, he just did some really good things, and he did. But, but in fairness, there are other people that have made this declaration that some of them have done good things throughout history. And I, and I don't want to discredit what Jesus has done or what he said from a deed standpoint or from a word standpoint. But the thing that distinguishes him from every other person in history that's ever said this about themselves is the fact that if we knew their burial place and, decay, and, the, and the time had not, through decay, just taken away any remains of them, we would discover that their body is still there. But we could go to the tomb that Jesus was put in, immediately following the crucifixion, and we would discover that he is not there anymore. That he's risen, he's alive. You think about his own followers, and after the crucifixion, that they weren't, they weren't going to continue the movement because he said great things. As a matter of fact, they were in hiding. They were hiding away from the Jewish leadership, afraid of what Rome may do. As a matter of fact, his friends were some ladies that had the courage to go to the tomb that day, but they weren't going to the tomb to see him. They were going to the tomb to finish the embalming process. Man, there's something that feels so permanent about death. That when we see people that, you know, we've known for years and we just realize their spirits left their body, that, that to our flesh that feels like such a hopeless moment. And that's what his friends were experiencing. So you can imagine the surprise. As a matter of fact, when one of the ladies, when she saw the empty tomb, she saw a guy there. She thought he was a gardener and she said, you know, where, where have you put him? Where, you know, where, where's, where have you hit him? Where have you taken him? She still couldn't believe that he had risen from the dead and then he revealed himself. His resurrection validates our faith that Jesus was not just another man that made this declaration throughout the history of humanity. It validates our faith that he is the Son of God, that God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we can take hope in that, and we can believe in that, and it gives us hope for our future. Amen? Amen. So number one is this, is that what it says about Jesus is that he is the Son of God. Look at number two, if you would. Go with me to Romans chapter 4. You're in Romans 1? Romans 4. And in this, that where we begin to read in verse 20, um, the writer here, the Apostle Paul, he's writing about a guy named Abraham that God had promised years ago that he was going to enter into an agreement, a covenant with him. And one of the things that's going to happen is that Abraham and his wife Sarah were going to have a baby. And so so God made this promise when Abraham was like 75 and Sarah was 65. And it was 25 years later before they saw the promise come to pass. So he begins talking about that. In verse 20 he says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced. Say fully convinced. Fully convinced. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now listen, he was handed over to die because of our sins. In other words, the reason why Jesus was turned over, the reason why Jesus, did, nobody took his life from him, he laid his life down was because of my sins. You know, to sin simply means to miss the mark, to miss the mark that God has set for me. And, and even though that's the actual definition, you know, the, the struggle I have with that is that to me, a lot of times, that definition really doesn't describe the pain 
that my sin creates, not just in my life, but often in the lives of other people. You know, there's just something about it. And it was, you know, it was just one of those things that back then, during their time, that the Jews, what they would do is that every year, because of their sin, they would go to the temple, and, they, and the, the, there would be a high priest there, and, and he would find a lamb that he would look for and make sure there were no spots or blemishes or anything like that on it. And he would get it. Sometimes he would lay his hands on it and pronounce the sins of the people over it. And then he would offer it up as a sacrifice. There was a curtain there that they had this place and only the high priest could go in because at that time it was a picture of how sin had separated humanity from God. And so the high priest would go in there, that lamb would be sacrificed, and they would take the blood from the lamb, and they would sprinkle it on a place that was called the mercy seat. And he would declare that the people of God were forgiven for another year. And so this would go on annually. And not only would that take place, but families would find their own lambs. And they would take them, and the high priest would, or the, uh, the priest there would examine it. And if the lamb was acceptable, then they would receive the sacrifice and tell the family, because the lamb is acceptable, you're forgiven. So Jesus was handed over for that reason. But then it goes on to say, he was raised to life to make us right with God. In other words, his sacrifice was where my sin was laid upon, where our sin was laid upon him. But when he was raised from the dead, it was the Father's way of saying that he is the ultimate sacrifice. That there doesn't need to be any more sacrifices for the sins of humanity. Because Jesus has borne the sins of the world once and for all. That there's no longer a need to sacrifice animals or, or anything like that. No longer a need. It's not something we do in our culture anymore. And so just like the high priest would look at that sheep, that lamb, and say, you know, that, that that sacrifice is acceptable. That when Jesus was crucified, that the Father looked and he said, that sacrifice is acceptable. And here's the beauty of it. When the priest, when the family would bring the lamb in, he wouldn't examine the family and talk about how bad they are. He would examine the sacrifice. And if the sacrifice was good, the family is good. If the sacrifice qualified, the family qualified. And so Jesus, the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice for humanity, God the Father said, I accept this sacrifice. And so when you receive Jesus, then you're made right with him and have a relationship with him. And you can put confidence in that because the sacrifice has been accepted. And his resurrection from the dead declares to all of us that we can believe that. And so number two is what it tells about Jesus, that he's a sacrifice for my sin. Now, you know, when we look back on that time, that the thought of sacrificing an animal for us it doesn't really cross our mind, you know, or anything like that. I tried to make a joke about that in the first service, and it thudded, so I'm not going to say that in the second service. But, um, and that's so unusual for me. But anyway, um, uh, you know, we just, we don't do that. But the truth of the matter is, is that even though we don't do that, until we really fully understand that what Jesus has done for us is enough, we do our own sacrifices. I can remember when I was younger, man, was, if I blew it in an area, sometimes I'd ask God to forgive me, and yet I'd still feel the guilt and the shame, and so I'd go back and I'd ask him to forgive me again. And I'd go back and ask him to forgive me again, and I'd go back and ask him to forgive me again. And, 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 and the reality of it is, is that it wasn't that he hadn't forgiven me. It was two things. One is, is that sometimes I struggled with forgiving myself. And the other thing is, is that I, I never really fully understood that what Jesus did is enough. It's enough. I remember, you know, there'd be different times, and probably you've done this too, probably most of us at one time or another, that we've tried to make a bargain with God. We've tried to find a place where we're just going to bargain with Him. 
I remember when I, when I was like 16 years old, I loved my dad, but he was, he was, he was very, he was strict. And so, and, uh, you know, and he was the kind of guy, and I'm not belittling this, you know, with uh, the things that we learn, you know, but like he didn't care what my temperament was, what my Enneagram number was. He didn't care if I was having a sensitive moment or anything like that. He just, that, none of that stuff, it, it didn't move him. I could be like, Dad, I just need some me time. And he's like, oh, no, we're going to have some we time. And so, you know, it'd be one of those things. And so I, I remember that, um, uh, you know, he, sometimes he would say, you know, I'm, I'm in high school and my friends are staying out later. And sometimes they say, hey, what are you doing? And so I tell him, he goes, yeah, I want you back by 1030. I'm like, 1030? That's when things are just getting started. Yeah, I know. That's why I want you back by 1030. You know I mean? So that would be his thing. And we didn't have cell phones back then. Yes, we had cars. We didn't do it on horse and buggy. But here's the thing is that I remember one night, you know, and, and there, you said trains in Claremore, so it was all of these things you had to consider. And, and again, my dad didn't care. They're like, oh, there's a train that was stalled and all that kind of stuff. He'd be like, take me to the engineer. I want to see if that's true. You know I mean, he would be that guy. So, so I remember one night I'm driving home, and I'm like five minutes late. I'm a quarter of a mile from my house in Vertigris, and, and I passed my dad on the road. And I knew he wasn't out going out getting milk or coffee. I mean, I knew it was one of those things like, oh, my gosh, he's, he's looking for me. And so I began to make all sorts of bargains with God at that time. I was like, God, just forgive me, man. My life is full of yours, you know. And, and uh, you know, uh, you know um, if, I, if I need to cut my hair different, I will. I'll go to a foreign land and tell people about Jesus and never heard about you before. I'll disappear. If you want me to disappear, I'll disappear. Just don't let my father kill me, you know, I mean, that, that kind of thing. And so, so I was making a bargain with God, you know, about, about these things. And so many times in our life, whenever we blow it, even though we wouldn't sacrifice an animal, we'd, make, we'd do things like that because sometimes we still don't understand that what Jesus has done is enough. Pastor Rick, you know what I've done. And you're right, I don't, you don't know what I've done either. But I know what he's done. And no matter what you've done and no matter what I've done, when we embrace what he's done, it's enough. You don't have to make any more sacrifices. Don't say, well, I guess, I'm, you know, I guess God is still punishing me because of what I did. Why would he do that? Jesus is enough. Why would God still, you know, if Jesus, what, Jesus wasn't enough, then of course there'd be things that he'd be taking out on you. But if you've received Jesus as your Savior, made him Lord of your life, accepted his sacrifice, then you've received who he is, and who he is is enough. And so it says this about Jesus, number two, is that he's a sacrifice for my sin. Let's look at number three, and we'll close with this. Go with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. This was a letter, again, that, that Paul had written to Christians at Corinth, but also to Christians all over the world. And it says in verse 12, it says this, But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. Now listen, and if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. 
So Paul was confronting this thing that was going on to the church where they were saying there was no resurrection. He said, well, that's the case. Then Jesus wasn't raised. And if he wasn't raised, then our faith is useless. And he said, then we don't have any hope beyond this life. And man, if that were to be true, then it would tell me that the, at, the very, at the worst, it would mean that we would spend an eternity separated from God. And at the best, that when we die, that would be it. That would be final. But because he has been raised from the dead, that we have more hope than that. And Jesus, when people say who he is, one of the things that if you believe in him, you can declare, you can say this, he is my hope. He's my hope, not just for this life, but when I step into eternity. He's my hope that even in my broken moments and in my broken places, that I know that I'm forgiven and I'm a child of God and I walk with him, not just at my best, but even when I fail miserably, he doesn't abandon me. We can have that hope because of what Jesus has done, because of the resurrection. We get a picture of what it must have been like whenever Jesus died on the cross. Again, at that moment before he was raised from the dead, none of his followers were waiting on him. None of them were at the tomb saying, I know he said he's going to rise again. I'm going to see him. No, man, they were in hiding. They were in despair. And then Jesus rises from the dead, and he came across some of his followers on the, as they were on their way to Emmaus, and they didn't recognize him. And he said, what are you doing? And they said, have you not heard what's gone on in Jerusalem? about how they've crucified this man and they said this we had hoped that he would restore the kingdom in other words their language declared something that the hope that they had had disappeared because they'd seen Jesus crucified on the cross and at this moment they were not aware that he'd been raised from the dead but whenever he reveals himself, not just as a historical figure that's been tragically crucified, but as the, as the risen living Christ, then all of our despair shrinks in the light of the hope that he brings to us in our world. And because he's risen, who's Jesus? He's the hope of humanity. He's not just the hope of humanity. He's our hope. He's not just our hope. He's my hope. He's not just my hope. He's your hope. And so we have that confidence and that assurance with Jesus being raised from the dead. I want us to do this. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes for just a minute and just spend a moment with God. Just let him, just let the Holy Spirit just minister to your life right now. Let him just speak to you. Let him do in you the things that he wants to. Just take this moment to just, just remember that what this day is about, what we're celebrating here, how significant it is. That because of the resurrection, that you and I, we no longer have to pay for our sins because Jesus did. Because the Father said, I accept the sacrifice of my son on the cross. I'm just so grateful for that. Let's just spend a moment with God. that my life, even on the darkest day, I still have hope. Jesus, because of you and because of this moment in history that we're gathered together today to celebrate and to be reminded of and to recognize.
Lord, I pray for our lives today that this is a great opportunity that maybe if there's anybody in here that's never really surrendered themselves to you, that this would be a great time for them to do that. Or, or for anybody maybe that has, but they find themselves distanced from you, that they would move closer to you. Lord, just deal with our lives right now. Speak to us. With heads bowed and eyes closed, man, if you're here today, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord, if you've never surrendered your will to His, but you want to do that today, man, I, I'd love to pray for you. You know, being a Christian is more than just believing in God. It's, it's this surrender that you give yourself to Him. You accept what He's done for you. And you follow Him. So if you've never done that and you want to do that today, I want to pray for you. Second of all, if you're here, and you say, Rick, I've done that, but honestly, man, I'm, I'm kind of, I've kind of distanced myself in my walk with the Lord. And I want to I move back closer to Him. I want to rededicate, recommit my life to Him. Can I do that? Absolutely you can. You say, well, how do you know? Because I've been you, man. I've, there's been, there was a season I really distanced myself from God. For me, I allowed myself to get bitter, and it took me far from Him. So whatever the reason is, however you got there, I can tell you from experience that he'll restore you. So if you want to recommit your life today, I want to pray for you. And then lastly, if you're here and you say, you know, sometimes I think I'm saved, but other times I struggle with, what if I'm not? What if I'm not where I need to be and I wish I could just settle it once and for all? Well, I believe you can. So if that's you, I want to pray for you. If you want to leave here assured that you're his. So for any one of those three things, whether to give your life to Jesus for the very first time or to recommit your life to him or just to leave here knowing that you're his, if, if that's you with heads bowed and eyes closed, just so I know who I'm praying for, just so I'm praying for, if that's you, would you just raise your hand for just a moment and you put it back down? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Anybody else want to join these? Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Anybody else? Awesome. Well, I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for each person that's raised their hand. I thank you, Lord, that you love them. You see them. That you're not indifferent to them, but you're here with them in this moment, just pursuing their heart. And I pray, Lord, if this is their first time, that they would become a Christian. They'd become a new creature in Christ. That old things would pass away and all things would become new. They'd leave here forgiven. Innocence restored. And Father, for anyone that's rededicating their life or recommitting their life, I pray that you'd restore the joy of their salvation. That they too would leave here forgiven. Reconnected to the plans and purposes of God. No more shame. No more guilt. No more condemnation. Again, restored. And lastly, Father, for any of those that struggle with, am I really a Christian? I pray that when they leave here, they would know they're yours. Not because they feel like it, because some days I don't feel like it. And not because they always act like it, because you know I don't always act like it. But they would leave here knowing they're yours because you said whoever calls on Jesus will be saved. So on the days that we don't feel like it, and even on the days we don't act like it, we know we're yours because our confidence is not in how good we feel, or certainly not in how good we are. Our confidence is in what Jesus has done for us and what you promised, and that's enough. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Now, look, man, I prayed for you, and that's good, but because God wants a relationship with you, where somebody else isn't talking to him for you, but you're talking to him on your own behalf. 
That's why Jesus came, so you could have that relationship. I want to lead you in a prayer. And you're, you're not talking to me when you say these words. You'll be talking to God. And so I, I want you to be able to be bold and not hindered or intimidated or anything like that. And because you're not in this alone and we're for you, I'm not just going to ask you to repeat after me, but I'm going to ask everybody in here to repeat after me to encourage you. So I'm going to say, let's all say this, but if you raise your hand, make this yours. Let's all say this, say, Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, be Lord of my life. I surrender my will to yours. I receive you as my Savior now. Thank you for dying on the cross for all my sins. And I believe with all my heart that you were raised from the dead so I could be forgiven. I call upon you now and ask you to forgive me and to live in me. And I thank you for forgiving me and saving me and loving me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give them a hand. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that cool? So, you know, I'm so glad we get to spend Easter together. It's our second year here, like I said before. And I know you have family coming in town. We want you to have a, a great memory and a great time with them. I'm going to turn this over to Pastor Mike. But I love you guys. I'll see you at the door. Give Pastor Mike a big hand.